Did that come on? Oh my, yes. All right. Good to see you this morning and good to be back at Living Way. It has uh, it's been a long time, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, we've had a lot happen, primarily in one scientific term, COVID-19. And uh, I don't know about you, but certainly glad we've made it past that. Cheryl and I both had a pretty good case of COVID-19 on that first round. Uh, obviously, we survived, and uh, we have, uh, you know, we got some lingering symptoms, you know. She still can't taste anything much, and, and uh, I've got a little of that back, uh, but it hasn't stopped me from eating, obviously. Uh, amen, amen. So, uh, anyway, it is, it's a delight to see you. And I've looked forward to being able to share this message with you ever since the invitation to come uh, was extended. I truly believe that uh, God has given me today, uh, not that I'm anything special by any means, but that God has given me, because you're special, uh, His message for you uh, in this hour. So, as my pastor says, I'm going to ask you to turn on, turn in, or what your Bibles, all right? So if it's on your phone, or if you happen to have one of those old-fashioned hard copies um, with you, and you still know how to use it, you know, I, I, I say that jokingly, but uh, we're, we're right now, last week, finished all of our uh, classes for the semester, uh, at North Greenville and uh, beginning tomorrow, final start. Uh, this is that time of weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth uh, for students. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking about uh, what those students have never had the opportunity to experience, nor will they ever. I saw a video on YouTube the other evening where uh, parents were with their kids uh, I mean, young teenagers walking down a hallway in a public building, and it, it was a building with you know things from the past on display, a museum-like place. And the father stopped them uh, at a table that had a rotary telephone, the old-fashioned square job that sat on the desk or wherever you put it in your house, and and uh, but it was rotary. <laughs> And he challenged his kids to make it ring. Because that, that was what would happen. If you, if you did this thing well, uh, successfully, the phone would ring. And you know you had conquered the rotary phone. And I, I promise you, his two high school teenagers could not figure it out. They simply could not figure putting your finger in a number and dialing around, you know, letting it go and letting it go back and forth. Uh, they knew all about how to handle their, their iPhones uh, and do anything in the world on that thing, but they could not figure out the turning uh, of a rotary telephone. Uh, so we have reached that age, haven't we? And I think it has become appropriate for the preacher, the pastor, to say you can turn in or turn on uh, your Bible. Now, if you will, and I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and just hold your place there. Uh, for a moment or two. Uh, 
Today we're going to talk about one of the most, if not the most, important subject in all of the Christian life. And that applies to every one of us here today. And that is the cross. Nothing more important than the cross. In fact, one of the greatest preachers the world has ever known, the 19th century pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, was once asked to describe his preaching style. He was being interviewed, and he said, well, it's really rather simple. No matter where I take my text in Scripture, I read it and then rush immediately to the cross and begin to preach the Lord Christ. And that's exactly what we want to do today. Uh, you don't, you have only to read a, a, a few of Spurgeon's messages to know that that's what he did, and so it's what we're going to do. But we're going to do it with just a small difference, one small difference, and that is that we're going to read the text, go to the cross, and we're going to stay there the entire message. So the whole message has to do with the cross and the benefits uh, that come from the cross, or at least a few very significant benefits that come from the cross. So if you will, take your Bibles, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Just one short verse of only 26 words. But I don't want you to kid yourself. This verse is larger than the sum of its words. It's a treasure chest of far-reaching truth. It's as if every other part of the Bible is somehow connected to what Paul writes uh, in this word. And that's what we want to see today. We want to see how the parts of the verse connect with other scripture to teach and prove larger and deeper truth. And I believe that what we're going to find is a message that is eye-opening, it's encouraging, and it's life-changing. So let's go to the treasure chest and let's begin to pull out its contents, all right? Look at verse 18, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross, now focus your attention, he's writing about the cross. That's the subject, the context, the cross. So what he says <clears throat> from this point forward, uh, within the remainder of the chapter, uh, is going to have to do with the cross. So whatever he says, it's connected with the cross. Everyone get that? All right, verse 18 again. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to stand before your people and to share this word. I believe and I trust that this is what you have given me and what you want said. And so I pray that you will empower. I pray that you will open the hearts and minds of each of us uh, to receive and to understand uh, and to have the appropriate reaction, if it's conviction, if it's praise, whatever it is, the appropriate God-honoring reaction to the word that we hear. And Lord, we will trust you for that, believing that needs will be met today, that decisions will be made, that each of us will leave here somehow differently than we came in, not quite the same person anymore because of our fresh encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ through his word. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Because we can't overread it, let's one more time look at this short verse. All right? And let every word sink in. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, I see this verse working together to teach us three truths about the cross of the blood of Jesus. The cross and the blood of Jesus, three major truths inside this small verse. They have to do with salvation, imputation, and application. Now, the first part of the verse says, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are preaching. We've read it several times, and it's an important part of the verse. The word foolishness comes from the Greek word moros. We get our English word moron. Or moronic from it. So literally what Paul is saying is the word of the cross is moronic to those who are perishing. To those outside Christ. They cannot understand the significance and the great glory and reverence that we place in the cross. And and can't get beyond the goriness of shed blood. And like us, uh, they cannot begin to see uh, as we do. Uh, how that blood is significant and precious and how we cling to it for our salvation. But it's foolishness. It's not just foolish, not just stupid to those to the world. It is purely moronic. So what Paul is actually saying, the word of the cross is moronic. Then he continues, but unto us which are being saved. By contrast, so to the world, the preaching of the cross is moronic. Foolishness, stupidity. But to us, he said, to those of us who know Jesus, to those of us who have been to the cross, to those of us who have bowed the knee before the crucified Savior and called upon Him to forgive our sin and save us and to pour out upon us all the benefits of the cross, to those of us who have experienced that, the cross is something else. But now, let, let me pause here uh, and park a moment, because what he says might sound a bit strange, what Paul said, because he says, and I want, you to, I want to ask you if maybe this sounds a little strange to you, the phrase that says, we are being saved. Now, does that sound just a little bit foolish or not so much foolish as it does just strange. I mean, after all, we tend to think of salvation as a single once-and-done experience. We go to an altar, we pull the car over to the side of the road and kneel uh, or bow our heads before God or in some other occasion in the living room with someone there with us, helping us bow our heads and call upon Christ. And in that one moment, in that one time, Uh, We come to terms with our sin, our need for a Savior, and ask Jesus to save us. And it's one and done. Isn't that how we think of salvation? But if you follow the Apostle Paul in his writings, he refers to salvation as an ongoing process based in that single experience, but salvation then occurring on a daily basis, an ongoing process. In Romans 8.24, he says, we were saved. That's the past single experience that we call salvation. In Ephesians 2.5, he refers to salvation as a present fact created by the past experience. He says, you have been saved. 
And then in 1 Corinthians 15, 2, he speaks of a continuing process based in the past experience. You are being saved. And then in Romans again, verse, chapter 10, verse 9, Paul describes a future outcome that is guaranteed by the past experience. You shall be saved. Now, here's the point. The bottom line is that salvation is ongoing, which makes it eternal and secure. Past, present, future, and forever. Listen, if you have truly been saved, you can never be lost again. Ever. But you say, how is it possible that I can't be lost? I can't lose my salvation when my weaknesses and failures cause me to stumble and to sin so often. Well, we're going to continue reading. And based on the verse's last phrase, the answer to that is very simple. You cannot lose it because of what salvation is based upon. You know, one of the most important questions in dealing with any news, any new thing, any new idea that you may hear, most important question is when the argument or the idea is presented is based on what? I say that to my students all the time because I hear a lot of different beliefs and ideas from my students. Well, I think that so forth and so on. And I say that's fine. Based on what? That idea, that thought, that new deal. Based on what? You see, it's the basis of the argument that is the most important thing. And so when we talk about salvation, when we talk about its security, when we talk about the ability that God has given us to remain saved, no matter what, then, of course, that raises questions. What about my sin? What about my day-to-day stumbling around? How can this be? And what we look at is the basis for that salvation. And the basis for that salvation is this. Paul writes, but unto us, which are being saved, it, remember he's talking about the cross, it is the power of God. The power of God. The power of God to do what? To give you salvation and to keep you saved once you are saved. The cross and the blood that flowed from it. The cross and the powerful blood that flowed from it is the basis of salvation. So that brings us to our first great truth. Remember I said there were three. The first one is this. Salvation is based in the cross. Salvation is real, eternal, and secure because it's based in the cross. Not in your work, not in your effort, not in your personal goodness, but in the cross, which the Bible says is the power of God. Someone please get me a little something to drink. I fight allergies all the time and take medications for it, and it just dries me out. So if you'd do that, I would really appreciate it. not in your personal goodness, but in the cross, which the Bible says, again, is the power of God. The cross, it, that I-T, it, he says, is the power. And he's referring to the cross. It's the power of God for those of us who are being saved. Now, in the Greek language, 
the words power of God are the phrase dunamis theo. Thank you. God bless you. May you have many children and may they. You don't want any? Well, my four are grown and I'm not giving you any of my grandkids. So. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That helps very much. The phrase power of God is the Greek phrase dunamis theao. Theao means of God. Dunamis is translated power. Now, if that word sounds a little familiar to you, it's the word from which we get our English word dynamite. Dunamis dynamite. Now, I want you to look at something that's interesting. In the verse, power equals dynamite. So when you read that, it's the power of God. It's the dynamite of God. In other words, the dynamite power of God resides in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it was on the cross that the source of that power The blood of Jesus was shed for our salvation. And as the old hymn says, there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. For us to lose our salvation would require the effectiveness of the cross to expire and the power of the blood to lose its dynamite effect. And folks, that's not going to happen. Not ever. On the cross, the full power of God for the eternal salvation of humanity was released. We can say from the cross, through the blood of Jesus, the saving benefits of God's power, including keeping us secure for himself, were released and then applied to all people who by faith would accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It's for this reason that the cross is so crucial to every blood-bought child of God. It is is the power of God. So when you see the symbol, what you're looking at there is not just the symbol of an execution, not even the symbol of of salvation, though it truly is. It is is even more. (coughs) And Paul's description was, it's the dynamite of God. The dynamite of God. You don't look there and just see death and weakness, and a human being beaten beyond recognition. You look to the ultimate end of it, and the ultimate end of it is that in that cross beam standing before us, and the one who was nailed to it is the very dynamite of God. And when he died on that cross, Everything that God has in mind for us, everything necessary to redeem, to forgive, to ensure eternal relationship with Him was secured. And Satan was defeated, his kingdom overturned. And we can know that's truth because when Jesus died, an explosion occurred. The dynamite of God Every blessing that we receive, every powerful work, every gift, every intervention, and every grace of God to us is resident in the blood of Christ and it emanates from the cross. Keep in mind, the blood-laden event of the cross was no mistake. And Jesus did not shed his blood by accident. His was no random death, not whatsoever. 
Tragic as it was, it was equally deliberate, voluntary, and required. It was equally voluntary and required. It had to happen. He came to die. He planned to die. He lived to die. And he was born to die. Now, in purely legal terms, Jesus was executed unjustly. But the fact is, his blood was spilled on purpose at the cross. Sinful men took his life, but only because he voluntarily gave it up. Hanging on the cross, Jesus absorbed the full, just wrath of God for our sin in order to exchange our sin and our unrighteousness with his own holy righteousness. We call that exchange imputed righteousness. And that's the second great lesson, imputation. Imputation occurs at the cross. So what exactly does imputation mean? And this is where it gets so good. In simplest terms, impute means to pass to another's account, to take from one and replace it with something else. In Paul's day, the word was an accounting term. It referred to maintaining accurate accounting records. It was sometimes used as a general technical term referring to simple activities like recording credits and debits and then replacing one number um, with another. But it was always the word that was used whenever some extraordinary event took place within your accounting. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, something that you're going to have to move to Brazil to, to, you know, escape. I'm talking about something wonderful and good and fully legal. And that was exactly the word that was used. It was an accounting, uh, an accounting term that referred to something marvelous. Let's say, for example, that there's an individual, maybe you're that individual, who is deeply in debt to a creditor. The deficit is so large that the debtor is in a completely impossible situation. He is penniless. He cannot begin to pay his debts and clear his name. His entire existence is in jeopardy. Loss of freedom and incarceration in debtor's prison looms over him. Then, unexpectedly, the creditor walks in to the room and says to the accountant, erase the record of the man's indebtedness and insert my wealth in his record as if it were his own in full payment, full payment of his debt. Further, after you make that application, mark his account forever paid in full. That's exactly what happened at Calvary. That's exactly what happened on the cross. God placed all our sin debt upon Christ. And the blood of Jesus made provision, made provision that the wealth of Christ's righteousness would be placed over our own unrighteousness and moral bankruptcy. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He later writes, we were the enemies. We were the enemies separated from him 
by evil thoughts and actions, yet now he hath reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, listen, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and you are blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Mm. That all happened there. Dynamite, an explosion that literally blew the kingdom of evil apart and all of its plans for you. It's prison, it's indebtedness, it's chains, it's unforgiveness, it's hellish eternity. Tore it all apart and replaced our unrighteousness with the righteousness of God. Folks, as a result of the cross and the blood of Jesus applied to our sin, we were granted full acquittal from the death sentence of sin. We received freedom from the indebtedness of sin, healing to our broken relationship with God and enduring peace with God Himself. The moment that God applied His dynamite power, the blood of Jesus to our hearts and lives, and that brings me to the third and final truth, application. Now, you must admit that that was quite an exchange that occurred there. His holiness for our sin. His cleansing for our filth. His acceptance for our condemnation. All because the blood of Jesus from the cross was applied to us. Jesus spilled his blood on the cross and then God applied the wonder-working dynamite power of that precious blood to our lives to produce the righteousness for unrighteousness transaction. And remember, because of the ongoing nature of salvation throughout our lifetime, past, present, future, forever, the effects of that application are a continuing daily experience. In other words, the right now benefits of that application will follow us, each and every one of us, all the way to heaven. Now think about that. Those benefits, that righteousness for unrighteousness covers you today if you know Jesus. And you say, well, yes, I'm sitting in a church on Sunday and I'm worshiping. Of course I would feel that. Well, tomorrow you'll get up and go to work. And you'll face that job, that boss, those co-workers, those idiots on the road while you're trying to get there. <laughs> you'll face all of that. And guess what? His righteousness for your unrighteousness will continue to cover you. You'll lose it at something, probably. Don't you? You'd go a whole day and just not get ticked off. Very rarely. And many, many times we get ticked off enough that we that tickedness begins to spout. Right? Yeah. A lot of times we have to go and say, hey, man, I'm sorry. I, I, I was just, it's been a long day. And so many times they'll say, yeah, it's been long for me too. I understand, of course. And even in that tickedness situation, even when you're honking at that person that cuts you off or won't speed up and go ahead and move on with the traffic flow and you're running late, even in those moments, 
the righteousness of God is still covering your old unrighteousness. What a transaction. What a marvelous thing that is. Acts, I, I get to a point to where I can hardly even think about it without getting emotional. All because the blood from the cross was applied to us. Jesus spilled his blood on the cross. And then God applied the wonder-working dynamite power of that precious blood to our lives to produce the righteousness for unrighteousness transaction. And remember, because of the ongoing nature of salvation, as I said, and I know I'm repeating myself, this is an ongoing daily thing. And this transaction will follow you all the way to heaven. Now, there's some applications with all of this that I want you to remember. It's a, uh, several on the list, but not a lot to say on each, so it won't take long. Number one, his blood, Jesus' blood applied to us, redeems us. There was a price against us that we could not pay. But the blood of Jesus redeemed us. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. His blood applied justifies us. In other words, the blood extended God's full pardon and acceptance of us Romans chapter 5 verse 9 says we have now been justified by his blood justified is courtroom language it means to place in good standing the prosecution the defense both present their case and after that's presented the jury makes a decision a verdict is rendered it's either a verdict of guilty or not guilty it's either a verdict of this person is no longer in good standing with the law or this person is completely in good standing with the law. And in the courtroom of God, the gavel went down on the cross and God said of everyone who comes to him through the Jesus, the Savior, the Lord God who's hung on that cross, in compliance with the law, not guilty, justified, justified before God. What a marvelous truth. His blood applied cleanses us. Not only does it remove the punishment of sin, it removes sin's pollution. Folks, I don't care what sin you've committed, where you've been, who you've been with, and who you did it with. The Bible still says, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.17 His blood applied brings us into fellowship with God. According to Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near to the blood of Christ. Without the blood of Christ, man is a long way from God. But when the blood is applied, God becomes our Father and we become His sons and daughters.
His blood applied bridges the chasm between us and God. Again, Ephesians 2.13 says, We have been brought near God by the blood of Christ. And that's at the heart of this bringing near the reconciliation of humanity with God. It's the creation in Christ of personal access to a relationship with God that we never could have secured on our own. In fact, the phrase brought near by the blood of Christ gets at the heart of what the application of Jesus' blood does for us. It brings us to God. Don't avoid it. Don't overlook it. Don't be disgusted by it. Receive it as the most precious thing that God ever did for us through Jesus Christ. There may be no better summary regarding the power of Jesus' blood applied than 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. And that's still the purpose of the cross today. To apply the wonder-working power of the blood to bring humanity to God. To give all who accept Christ as Savior and Lord this song, glory to His name. Glory to His name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to His name. Hear me. The blood should be precious to us because the blood of Christ applied fulfills our deepest aches and longings for God. Not just temporarily, but finally and forever. No other message but the message of the blood applied has the dynamite of God. Those who do not know Christ as Savior and Lord should listen to this message and be receptive to it. Those of us who do know Christ should be thankful. Thankful for a secure salvation through that blood. Thankful for imputed righteousness through that blood. And the applied blood of Jesus Christ itself brings spread over us. As the chorus from my favorite praise song says, Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, Jesus, it has washed me white. Thank you, Jesus, you have saved my life, brought me from the darkness into glorious light. Listen, if you will. Build it 
take a moment, those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who've been to the cross, who've bowed our knees there, who have poured our lives out and said, Lord, I don't understand why you'd want all this sin, why you'd want all the junk that's accumulated in my life, and knowing that I won't be perfect here on this earth, even after this experience, that I'll sin again. I'll lose my cool. I'll say things I shouldn't say. Perhaps do things I shouldn't do. Things that I struggle with on a daily basis will continue to hound away at me. And I'll yield to them sometimes. Dear Lord, why would you want someone like me? But your word says that if I'll confess Jesus as Lord, if I'll repent, turn away from my sin, if I'll just leave it all laying there and stand up the new person that you make me and walk from the cross newness of life, that whether I feel it or see it or whether... I struggle still that I will yet have that new life, be that new person. My salvation will be real, eternal, and secure. You'll take all of my old unrighteousness and you'll replace it with your righteousness so that when the Father looks at me according to the book of Colossians, what he will see is me as holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Because he won't be looking at me just as I was when I came to the cross. No. He will be looking at me through his son, Jesus Christ. And what the dynamite power of his blood applied has done to make me a new person in Jesus. I don't know how long it's been since those realizations really struck you. But if it has today, then you take a moment as I pray, closing things up. As I pray here in a moment, before we sing our last song, you take just a moment to say thank you Jesus for the blood applied to me my life now if you're still struggling in your sin in your lostness you've never walked there knelt there and called out to Jesus from there then you need him today more than you need lunch, more than you need your next breath, 
You need Jesus today. And he'll take all of that old, get rid of it, and replace it with his own righteousness. Call out to him. Lord, I believe that you're God. I, I believe that you died for me. I believe that you are the Savior of humanity. I believe outside of you there is no forgiveness from sin and there is no eternal salvation. There is no heaven as destiny. I believe that. And today, I want what you stand ready to give me. Please. I repent. I turn away from my sin as best I know how. Accepting weakness, but Lord, you're the one that's going to have to accept that and, and deal with it because I'm going to give you me. Here I am. Please save me. Come into my heart, into my life. Be my Lord and Savior. If you've not done that, this is a perfect moment as I pray. You call out to God in your own heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for your word, for its richness, for its depth, for its truth without any mixture of error, for the reality of what has been spoken, for what we have heard in testimony, even through a video. Dear God, hear us as we say thank you. Thank you for the blood applied. Thank you for the horrendous price that Jesus paid on our behalf. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, that's all we know to say. The words just seem to stop there. Thank you. And Father, if there's someone here today that's calling out to you in their heart now for salvation, God, I know what you'll do. You'll hear them, you'll save them. Let them in this moment be as convinced as that. Father, to seek out one of the leaders in this church and, and just share that. I, I called on Jesus as I sat in that auditorium today. Thank you now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can stand with us.